Well, welcome everyone uh, to this third, it's our third SpireCast live event. I'm Ben Kacharis. I serve with uh, Mountain Christian Church out in uh, near Baltimore, Maryland, and really glad you're with us. Um, this is an event that uh, we have created in order to uh, get some extra conversation around some of the super content that um, was broadcast for our Spire event, which was just a few months ago. And uh, we are pulling them out of the vault and realizing what great relevance they have. And that's especially true with today's topic. And uh, here to help me talk about all that is our friend Carl Cool. Carl is the lead pastor at the Mosaic Christian Church, uh, or Mosaic Church, I guess you just call it, right? Um, because you're not fully Christians. I don't know. What, what's the name of your church? Mosaic oh, we're a Mosaic Christian Church. Come okay, on. there you go. So you're Christians. And that's that's actually, um, we're neighbors. Um, if I typed in uh, Elkridge on my phone, I think it would probably say, I don't know, an hour or less, maybe, I don't know, depending on traffic. So we're both Marylanders and are really, really glad to be with you today. We're going to have some opportunity to chat. Um, about a number of really, really important things and welcome your conversation in that as well. It's been a tough, all the cliches, you know, Carl, about the year uh, have been used up uh, so fully about what a tough year it is. But of course, the most obvious reason it's been a tough year is because of the pandemic and COVID. And um, it's especially tough when a leader uh, gets COVID, which is why if Carl starts drifting off or looks sleepy partway through, the guy's still battling uh, COVID. What's that been like for you and and uh, how you doing with it? Yeah, I've passed my mandated isolation. So I'm, CDC says I'm in the clear, but it knocked me out, man. And uh, the lingering symptom is just being so weak. I slept 11 hours Saturday night, which is just not my deal. But um, I never lost my sense of taste. One of my friends said, if you get COVID and your spouse doesn't, then you're doing something wrong. So I'm proud to let you know my spouse got diagnosed as well, uh, but she is doing well. She did lose her sense of taste. So she's on a kale diet right now, because why not? Why not? Right. Well, I will resist the urge to insert a joke about your wife having bad taste anyway. But um, no, I mean, I'm just glad you're OK, because there's obviously no laughing matter. I mean, you're uh, Carl's a strong, healthy guy, and I'm glad to see you on the mend and super glad you can join us today and that uh, we'll get you through the the window here. Uh, we have just a light topic to talk about. Maybe it'll perk you up a little bit. We get to talk about politics you guys actually we're going to talk more about the church than we are politics but i don't know what we did wrong carl that we got tapped to um host this session you know we we obviously were in someone's um bad list but uh you know what we all do have so many things on our hearts and minds about this topic and questions and um as you join us you're gonna notice that there's a place to um, type in questions and I will be happy to respond to all those easy ones. And then the difficult ones we'll pass over to Carl. And we would love to just interact around whatever comments or questions you have. And um, so feel free to type those in throughout the, uh, the video that we're going to show in a minute, as well as the following conversation we have. So, so um, what we're going to do is I, I want to set up... Um, uh, our conversation for today. And then we're going to um, view um, a short video with three excellent pieces of content in them that we can respond and react to. But, you know, obviously the spread of COVID is not the only thing that made 2020 so hard. It was this growing political animosity, right? Just, it's just so, so um, 
it's been said so many times in ways, but it's so true. We're so polarized and divided. We're more angry than ever. I always like to say everyone seems like they're politicked off. It's just like everyone. You can't even joke about stuff anymore. And um, so we're leaders. This is a, you know, AspireCast is for those who are leading through this age of outrage, right? And, and so it's we all walk around on these eggshells trying to figure out how best to help people really think and act like Christ followers in this time is super tricky because we all know there's so many landmines. Like you can't say anything without really offending half of your church or more. And, and, and so here's one thing that we know is at stake. Um, lots is at stake, not just for the direction of the country and so forth, but for the church and for the name of Jesus and our very mission. And so with all of these heightened tensions, here's kind of the question that sets up the, 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 um, the way that their speakers are trying to speak. And that is uh, in this climate, how do we lead right now? What do we do and how do we do it in a way that, that doesn't alienate everyone or compromise the gospel or inhibit people coming to Jesus? So we've got three super sharp leaders from very different contexts to share some thoughts on that. And um, first, we're going to hear from Carl. This was a, a message that Carl recorded earlier. And as I mentioned, Carl's the founding pastor with Mosaic Christian Church in, in Elkridge, Maryland. And then we're going to hear from um, another good friend, Car uh, Chris Mormon. Um, Chris is another church planner like Carl, and he's also the lead pastor now of Grace Capital City, which is uh, down the road at Washington, D.C. He's right in the thick of it, and uh, the political stuff is very, very intense for them. And then Cam Huxford, um, senior pastor at Compassion Christian Church of Savannah, Georgia. So let's just cut to the video, and let's hear what they have to say. Thanks, Ben. At Mosaic, as we lead our people to engage in politics in a way that both equips the believer and is still a welcoming environment for the non-believer, there's a phrase we use in our programming for the weekends that's really helpful to us. And we came onto this phrase after a series of mistakes over the years, and the conversations kind of went like this. It was, Carl, don't ever say a joke like that ever again. Half the people left offended. They were not thinking about Jesus. Or, hey, you, don't ever wear that ever again. People were thinking about your fashion choices. They were not thinking about Jesus. Or let's not sing that song ever again that says Sloppy Wet Kiss because people were thinking of making out in the movie theater in middle school. They were not thinking of Jesus. And the phrase that I'm sure we stole from some other church was this, that's an off-ramp. We're trying to get people to Jesus. Don't give them anything that's an off-ramp to the destination we're trying to get them to because an off-ramp takes you somewhere you don't wanna go. And really, this is the same thing Jesus himself does. Because when he's asked that famous question, Jesus, should we pay taxes? He says, okay, give me the coin. Whose image is on it? Caesar's. Okay, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. But it hinges on that word image. And the implication is give Caesar money because that's his image. But whose image are you made in? Genesis 1, we're made in God's image. So our job is to get people to see themselves not primarily as a Republican or a Democrat, but as a child of God, and not give people off-ramps that would distract them from that. I was reminded of this not too long ago. A guy in our church works in the White House and been there for multiple presidents, has a very cool job, and he was able to give me a tour of the West Wing. So I got to see the Rose Garden and the press briefing area and the Oval Office, it was amazing. He was in awe, I was in awe, it, it was great. 
at the end of the tour, I said, listen, I gotta ask you a question. How do you not get overwhelmed by this? You work in the seat of power in the world. And he looked at me with complete confidence and he said, I respect this office. But then he smiled and he said, but I know who my king is. And that happens when you know your identity. And so the way I help people know their identity is I don't give them off ramps. I don't give them things that are unnecessary. I just say, here's Jesus. You're a child of God. Let's walk that way. I agree with Ben. These are incredibly tense political times that we are living in. For us here in Washington, D.C., at our church, Grace Capital City, for many of the people who attend our church, politics isn't just about what they believe or their ideas about things. This is in many ways what they do. We have a broad range of people involved in different areas of it. We have CNN reporters. We have Fox News reporters. We have people who work for Republican senators and for Democratic congressmen. We have both sides of the aisle. And so one of the things we've found to be helpful in this conversation, in this kind of environment is we use the phrase the politics of Jesus politics of Jesus we want to rally people around the politics of Jesus now here's the thing about the politics of Jesus the politics of Jesus critique our inner biases they critique our earthly allegiances that they call us into account. When we're able to, rather than say, hey, are you left, are you right, what do you think about this issue, what do you think about this issue, when we call people first to, what does Jesus say about this? What does the Bible say about this? Then all of a sudden, we can posture ourselves in a way that we can actually receive truth, we can receive correction where it's necessary, and we can all actually begin to grow together. The other thing the politics of Jesus does is it, it critiques our allegiances, helps us begin to see, am I more aligned with a donkey or an elephant, or am I actually aligned with the slain lamb? Where's my first allegiance to? And so we have a lot of different ways through our teaching, we'll constantly use that phrase. Through our classes, we'll use that phrase. In our small groups, in our house churches, we use that phrase, trying to disarm people and remind ourselves, where is my first allegiance to? Who is the king of this coming kingdom? And what is, what is my personal belief and ideology, which doesn't mean that's not important, but that's up for debate versus what does the Bible actually say and what does the kingdom of heaven actually look like? So that's just one of the ways we've been able to navigate through this season. Hopefully that's helpful for you. Well, thanks, Ben. You know, I believe when the church is working right, man, we do the best of things in the worst of times, and this election cycle is no exception. You know, here in Savannah, we've tried to never give politics a place in our ministry that would lead anybody to think that there are political answers to the worst problems in our culture. Dude, Jesus is the answer. And let me tell you, the gospel is the only cure. Consequently, we've enjoyed a loving diversity in our ministry between Republicans and Democrats. You know, for years, the chairman of the Chatham County Democratic Party was a member of our church, and at the same time, the Republican president of the Georgia Senate, guy ran for governor, was also a member of our church. And these men love the Lord, and they fought for godly values within their parties, even though they love different parties for different reasons. I mean, one was a pro-life Democrat, the other was a Republican consensus builder, both got a ton done by reaching across the aisle 
Both were motivated by their love for Jesus. And friends, I talked about the practical faith of those two men a lot. Listen, we don't have to be polarized. The gospel is a unifier. And man, I pray that God will raise up many more men and women in politics just like them from our churches. Now, one of the strategies we pursued this year, along with lots of other churches, was a series of messages called The Separation of Church and Hate. Now, I'm sure you've heard about it or you're going to. Man, we focused on the biblical call for followers of Jesus to practice civility and humility and unity, even when you don't agree with others and you think they're wrong. So back in June, we rolled this series out to kind of coach our people up on how to distinguish themselves by their faith in a divided and caustic culture. Amazingly, the week I was speaking on unity was the week of the horrible George Floyd killing. And so we stopped our online service and we invited everybody to join us in prayer for the Floyd family and for peace and for justice to be done. Now, friends, I think that's when the Lord led me to host a dinner for 50 African-American leaders in our church. You know, we have hundreds of African-Americans in our ministry, but with the social distancing and the numerical limitations, we invited a group of 50 leaders along with some of our elders and our pastors. And, you know, the goal was just to enjoy a meal together and honestly, just to mourn with those who are mourning. And, you know, after that dinner, I led us all on a SWOT analysis of what it's like to be an African-American member of a predominantly white church. And that was one of the most illuminating, helpful, loving, honest conversations I've ever had. And I learned some things about our church that I did not know. And let me tell you, my love and respect for those friends multiplied. Now, Ben, I know this is not strictly political, but I'm telling you, God used that to create a higher level of humility and unity and intentionality among the leaders of our church, and I believe that's going to trickle down everywhere. Now, you know, Paul said the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love, and no election is going to stop that. I'm praying for you guys. God bless. Guys, thank you so much for that. There's some super solid guidance there that we can all use wherever we're located. You know, Carl's right. Following Jesus is hard enough without us creating additional off-ramps, like that idea of off-ramps, these ways that become easy for people to walk away from Jesus, not because they don't need or want Jesus, but because they're just so turned off by our politics. We just got to help people see their primary identity isn't Republican or Democrat or independent. It's child of God in his image. So crucial. And don't you like what Chris said about really rallying people around the politics of Jesus, calling people to be honest about what Jesus really teaches, what the Bible says about stuff, and what is merely my personal ideological conviction, and then letting Jesus' politics come over that and critique us and then draw us together in the kingdom of God, which, of course, transcends parties because we just got to help people figure this out right now and come together in an age of rage so our churches can experience more of what Cam described and be these places of healing and hope where instead of just shouting, we can do less labeling and more listening and caring for one another, even when we disagree. I think as Christian leaders, we can, we can try, to be like try to be like Jesus, who was, who was morally transparent, but politically opaque. Morally transparent, but politically opaque. Morally transparent so people will clearly see and never doubt where you stand on all the big moral and ethical issues of our day. That you're completely shaped by Jesus and what you're for. Morally transparent. But if they were asked, like, well, hey, who did she vote for? Or who, you know, who they for in the election? They might have to say, well, I don't know, because they don't play their cards out that way in the Republican or Democrat way. They're more about the kingdom 
of God. That's a morally transparent but politically opaque stance that I think is really admirable in this time. Everyone is saying there's so much at stake in this election, and they're right. But it's not just what's at stake for our nation, but what's at stake for God's mission that ought to concern us as leaders the most. So we've got a big job to do. It's never been more important than right now that we reach people and make disciples. So let's lead churches that avoid doing and saying political stuff now that will sacrifice spiritual influence for years to come. And remember, no matter who's elected president on November 3, Jesus is still going to be king on November 4. So here's my election prediction, okay? Whoever you're voting for, he's going to either win or lose. But the church wins or loses based on how we treat people and lead our people through this thing between now and then. God bless you all as you lead through this. Okay, well, lots to unpack there, Carl, and great job. Uh, you looked healthier back then, uh, <laughs> your, your pre-COVID talk. Uh, that was great. You know, maybe, maybe Carl, let's jump in here a little bit, and there's going to be some um, questions that can come in. Has already come, one has come in about some, uh, like the social media aspect. I do think we got to disciple our people a little bit on on that, but let's let's just say up front, I mean, I think the reason this is even a topic is this is, there is a problem, right? I mean, for sure. Uh, like, like politics is, was already divisive. Um, it's heightened now, like never before. Why, you know, why do you think that's the case, Carl? Why do you think things are so bad in right now? I mean, I, I maybe COVID has a lot to do with that. Two reasons. I think one, because people care. Right. We're fortunate enough to live in a democracy where we have a voice. And I think if people don't care about something, then it, it wouldn't get talked about at all. So I think, you know, we kind of got to say, hey, I'm thankful that I get to play a part in this and, you know, not take the blessing of democracy for granted. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's the reality. Right. Social media has sent us into echo chambers. And I, they don't attract me to get on social media more by showing me people that rile me up. They, they get me to, they suck me in by showing me people who agree with me. Have you watched that Netflix special yet? I don't know how much truth there is to all that, but man, I believe it. <laughs> um, yeah. that we just get in our own echo chamber and click swipe like, you know, I, I'm guilty. Twitter, Twitter is my social media vice of choice. Um, but I think it's those two things combined, a good caring, um, but the echo chamber uh, just makes, fills us with such vitriol towards people who disagree with us. So it, it has elevated and ramped things up to the place where it's it's much more pronounced and uh, polarized. And it's really probably, it's certainly been in my lifetime, certainly in my ministry. Um, so let so. So it's a problem, and 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 I think it's just good to acknowledge that. And then it's important for church leaders, I think, to acknowledge why it's a problem that it's a problem. Like like what like so what? So we live in a highly politically polarized time and a divisive era. Well, 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 one, because what we have witnessed and are continuing to witness is is that people are grasping for hope in sometimes all the wrong places and literally. Um, looking to um, uh, politics, 
um, grounding their hope in all kinds of things. And that's our, that's our stuff. We traffic in hope. Second, uh, it's divisive and, and that's a major biblical issue. And, and it weakens the church when we're divided or sort of only together, not around Christ, but only find our identity because we happen to have a political affinity with one another that weakens the church. And so we've got to be savvy about how to build churches, not around political affinities, but, but, commitment to Christ, and then that weakens our mission, pastors are exhausted, and the name of Christ is at stake, which I think is a nice segue to some of the things that you said. But maybe before we talk about that, I want to hear you unpack a little bit further. I mean, let me just go there now. I mean, what, what, uh, you had this great idea of an off-ramp and not creating off, why is that so important to you? And what are other things that leaders should be thinking about, do you think, in this matter of, of how we speak about this matter could impact not just the country, can we talk about what it does for the church and our mission, right? Yeah, I think it's so important to continue this conversation about politics, right? I mean, some of the video references we just looked at were leading up to the election because it was filmed before that. But what any crisis shows, right, and 2020 was a year-long crisis, is the problems that were already there. And so when we have political problems in our church, it exposes it's not, oh, now we have political problems. It's, oh, we have had issues that we haven't trained and taught our people well enough on as leaders. So we need to get this right now in 2021. So the next election cycle, we and our people are ready to go and attack it with a biblical worldview. Because what we saw with some of that was lacking before. And what hinges on this is reaching the lost. Because we will lose credibility with people. And we will lead others not to the full life that Jesus offers if we get this wrong. And I grew up in a region of the country that was very segregated politically. So the church I grew up at, it was just known everybody had the same view. But if we want to reach everyone with the gospel, we can't let that happen. Uh, Vince Antonucci taught me how you speak will determine your audience. And so we have to speak in the way you said, that's morally transparent, but politically ambiguous. And the reason to answer your question that off-ramps are such a big deal to me is Jesus gives off-ramps. Jesus over and over creates fork in the road moments. Following Jesus is not a one-time decision. You know, I used to think in Matthew 7, the narrow and the broad road was a one-time decision. I repented and got baptized. I'm on the narrow road forever. But as you read the gospels, the rich young ruler, the crowds he feeds with fish and loaves, continue to have fork in the road moments. It is not a one-time deal. Judas had multiple fork in the road moments. Peter had multiple fork in the road moments. So Jesus will do that for people as we preach the whole counsel of God. What I don't want to do is add an extra fork in the road moment. Right. And right. people walk away from Jesus for something other than what he asks. I'll be honest, this is one of the things that frustrates me about some people that very closely align themselves with a political party. And there's a lot of Christians today that align themselves very closely with, say, a progressive or you want to say liberal viewpoint. Ryan's question is getting right to this. And many Christians, as we know, align themselves very closely with a conservative or more Republican kind of mindset, so much so that they're almost synonymous in the mind of the world. And and this is the thing that bugs me a little bit is is people will say, well, you know what? People are going to get turned off sometimes. And they say, which is a true statement. But let's let's have it be because they met the beautiful, radiant, biblical 
Jesus Christ, saw it and rejected it because of the scandal of the gospel, not because. Carl just said, anyone who doesn't vote for Trump is not a real Christian, and I don't happen to agree with you, so now I just don't, I, I never meet, I think there are people who are not meeting Jesus, not because he's not attractive, but because the only thing they know about him is that someone showed up at the wrong rally wearing a Jesus flag, meaning well, trying to do the right thing, but we didn't do Jesus any favors when we marry him closely. And I know this is creating a lot of stir, I'm sure, for a lot of people who, who are like, but don't you care about these issues? And, and, and you know, and, and I do. I care about a, a lot of issues that are, you know, conservative values in our country. But we have to decide if we care about the name of Jesus more. And that's where I think your point about off-ramps is so important. And it really brings it down to what is our ultimate primary allegiance. Is it the kingdom of God or is it the kingdom of this world? And I love, I love you brought up the, the coin, you know, whose, whose image is on the, is on the coin. Uh, what I, heard a, I heard a great um, podcast recently. A guy was interviewing uh, a Christian who used to be in the NFL for multiple years. And he said the two things they don't allow in the locker room are faith and politics. And the, it was a Christian podcast. And so the guy said, well, tell me more about no faith. And he said, it's not that owners of NFL teams or head coaches are anti-faith. A lot of them are actually Christians, but they don't let anything in the locker room that could break the unity of the team. And what I immediately thought of, and I know it's dangerous to bring this guy up. Some people may click off of this as soon as I do. What I immediately thought of was Tom Brady, <laughs> because, you know, we're filming this the day after he just clinched his 10th Super Bowl appearance. And um Everybody knows that Tom Brady loves Donald Trump. I mean, they've golfed together. Donald Trump early in the election cycle was bringing Tom Brady's name up and, you know, trying to gain himself credibility because, you know, Tom Brady has a lot of fans, I guess. And um, but Tom Brady never once posted about Donald Trump, went to a Donald Trump rally said anything about, I mean, the media asked him, hey, Donald Trump, you know, says you like him. You want to talk about that? He goes, no, we're getting ready for our next game. Because however much he likes Donald Trump, he cares about Super Bowl so much, so much more that he says it's not even worth mentioning that because I can't bring anything up that would be disunity to distract us from getting to a Super Bowl. And I thought, man, what a great metaphor. And I don't know how much Tom Brady actually cares about Donald Trump, but I just thought the parallel for us, we care about something so much more than lifting up the Lombardi trophy. And if I'm not willing to set aside my political opinions that I think are right and I think are biblical and I think Jesus agrees with me in order to lift up the name of Jesus, then I'm missing something because I have looked for the verse. I have looked for the verse where Jesus says, here's who you should vote for. And I have found the verses that I think rationalize my choices, but I want people to get in that tub and get baptized. And I am afraid, not I'm afraid, I've just seen it to be true and you have too, Ben, that if I say vote for this party or this person, or you can't be a Christian and vote for whatever, that doesn't happen. And Jesus doesn't do his work because I got in the way. Yeah, it's extremely tricky because I know people get so passionate and, and understandably, I do too, about the issues yeah. and what, what our percept, you know, we have to remind ourselves, however, that, you know, Christians have historically been very um, excited about certain core issues about everything from 
you know, well, just say it, you know, um, life and abortion and, and marriage and, and, but also poverty and the poor and creation. And now we live in a time when those are divided between political parties. And so you've got some Christians who are saying, this is really important. Um, you know, and, and others saying this is really important. And the, and the fact is we've just got to keep our identity around who Christ is. So, and Brian asked a question here about social media. I, I think, um, it is important to, um, to, to, I don't know, I'll use the word disciple, Carl, you know, I've talked about this a little bit, how one of the disheartening things a little bit has been to see, wow, you know, these are people in my church, but look at how they're behaving on social media and to help people see. And I think we, I do this very, very regularly in preaching and in conversation and teaching just to talk about, you know, social media is kind of the public square. And it is also where our conversations with each other are captured forever and on display. And if I said to you, you want to come to my my family's dinner, but all you know about my family is that my marriage is horrible and we're always at each other. And I got a weird cousin who's always nasty and mean. And You know, my sister will probably spit on you. And it's like, why would you want to come to that family? And so if for no other reason, behave better because guests are present and watching and also it just comes back to mission. We've got to think about our our impact for the name and the sake of Christ. And so, you know, Cam mentioned and um, uh, the series "Separation of Church and Hate." And if you want to contact me, um, I'm happy to send you some stuff on this. But we we that was another way we tried to talk about things like the approach and response that we must have when we're. Um, talking about these issues, and uh, I'll just go through what they are real quick, and if you want more, I can send them to you, but it was, remember your identity. That's what Carl and I have been talking about here, like, where's your deepest loyalty lie, and help teach people on that. Behave with civility, which is where the social media thing comes in, to help us remember that, you know, we, we live in a public square, and not everyone out there believes what we believe, and we can't just be angry with non-Christians for, for what they think and feel, but it doesn't have to change what you believe, but it doesn't have to change how you treat people and what you say. So civility is something we ought to lead the way in. And I love what Beekner says. He says, kindness isn't the same thing as holiness, but it's really close. And I think Christians ought to be known for that. So so you've got your, your um, identity, civility, and then humility, which just remembers that, man, um, I don't possess every ounce of truth on everything. I'm looking through a glass darkly like everybody else and really smart, godly people don't always agree. We've got to learn to accept some Christianity on the other side of the aisle. And then unity, because Jesus loves it. We need it. The church, the mission is struggling because we are we don't have it. And then charity, which is love, which is what we used, it's what we're supposed to be known for, right? Jesus didn't say tolerate your enemies. He said, love them. And that has to include across the aisle. So I think in all those things, it gives us lots of room to talk about you know, what the, um, what, where social media comes in and just to be so mindful and, and help people be careful about what they're saying and doing on social media. And I think a lot of us as leaders, as we looked at our churches and how they responded to all of what came up in 2020, race, lockdown, politics, we were disappointed. And if you're like me, um, I was disappointed in myself because I thought I'd, I thought I'd prepared my people better than this. And the reason this conversation today is so important is that 2021 is our chance to course correct and say, let's help our people get a stronger biblical worldview. Let's prepare them 
them for what's next. Let's teach them how to respond to conflict, both online, personally, publicly, all of it. And let's put the gospel um, front and center. Ben, I, I want to make sure you share a phrase you shared with me that as you responded, kind of ties into both of the questions that came from social media. Um, you said when we respond to people, and I think this applies whether it's an internal board or external social media, um, it's personal. I forget the exact phrase. Tell me that phrase. Yeah, maybe that's a good place for us to wrap up. Um, yeah, I, I've just been thinking about this and the, and the times when I found myself it, it not going well, and, you know, with, with what's going on. What, what's been the keys when it has been going well, when we've had difficult but important conversations? And it came down to this. Like, I think we need to, to, to emphasize responding personally and pastorally more than publicly and politically. And just uh, just to unpack that a, a moment, I, I I think for me it's it's when I make public statements that then people are offended or don't understand or there's always misunderstanding and people get animated because they think you're saying something you're not. But when I respond personally, like to you, as a friend in a personal email, take the time to do that. Um, inevitably, it's like oh, I'm so grateful you helped that be known, and we just can have conversation, and that's exactly what we're trying to model on this. It's like not everyone has to agree, but we have to still love. And then pastorally, just to remind us of our function, you don't always have to make a political statement. In fact, I, I, I never want to make a political statement per se, but, but there are some times when people in our churches are just hurting or afraid or so angry. And these are moments when a pastor leads his flock to greener pastures and, and just tries to help. And so we'll often handle that through pastoral prayer. You know, a big, big thing happened after the, after the Capitol on the 6th, you know, on Sunday morning in our worship service, we just said, we just need to pray right now. And because we have people that are probably hurt for lots of maybe even competing reasons, but we can pray for all of us together. And then that's different than publicly where I'm making these statements and, and, and political. So I think that's a good word. And also just remember, you don't have to weigh in on everything. And we're all trying to figure out when do I speak? Don't be, we need to pray for wisdom and boldness, right? Wisdom to know when to be silent because you don't have to speak on everything. In fact, it's very wise that you're not. But if you're so silent that you're irrelevant to the massive happenings in our world, that's a, that's a high price to pay for the gospel. So pray for boldness as well, to have the courage to speak and engage in proper ways that always just lift up the name of Jesus and then model mature ways of discourse and dialogue, I think, are the best things we can do. Always, always, always holding the mission first. Think about the implications of everything we're doing long-term for the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. What's it? What's this going to mean for someone who doesn't know Jesus if they see me say what I'm going to say? Hold Jesus tightly and our politics loosely for the sake of mission. Any last word, Carl? I think you wrapped it up great. I think that's our time for today. I really appreciate um, you guys joining us live and those who are watching this subsequently. Um, hopefully this has been some help so that the name of Jesus and the mission of the church will, will rise like a spire. See what I did there? We need the name of Jesus to rise strongly, guys. Lead co uh, confidently with wisdom and boldness. Thanks for joining us today on this Firecast. Next Monday, join us again for another uh, great topic. Join us. See us uh, also. Hey, you see the thing on the screen. I think I'm supposed to say something about this Fire Conference as well. Is in Nashville, um, the 14th to 16th of September. 
Uh, I've, I've had the benefit of, of, of seeing some of the content planned for that. It's going to be absolutely amazing in a very cool town. And we're all going to have COVID a little bit more behind us. Carl will have his smeller and sniffers and tasters back. And uh, we'll, we'll hope to see you uh, in Nashville. So be sure to register for that. Thanks again for joining us.